So, as you probably know by now, Donald Trump has COVID. We're only two days in, and October is certainly not shaping up to be a boring month. Although I feel like maybe we could use one. But anyway, what I want to talk about this week is the nature of the right-wing reactionary response towards Trump's COVID diagnosis. This is Hidden History, and you're listening to episode 87. Bad things, bad people. Hidden History is always available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and, of course, www.hiddenhistory.show. If you like what I do, then subscribe or leave a rating. If you'd like to support the show in a more personal way, then follow the link in the description of this episode. Sorry for the lack of episode last week. I was having some computer problems, but hopefully they're fixed now. So, real quick, the original title of this episode was The October Surprise, um, and that's in reference to, well, The October Surprise, which is a shocking reveal that usually happens in October before presidential election. Trump's COVID diagnosis is an October surprise. The term originates in 1980 when the Ronald Reagan campaign intentionally sabotaged negotiations in the Iran hostage crisis in order to make President Jimmy Carter look incompetent. Now, I could, of course, spend all episode talking about that October surprise, but I won't. Maybe that's a topic for another week. Instead, I want to talk about, like I said, the fact that the president has COVID-19. Now, I've mentioned Ben Shapiro once or twice before on this show, and I'm going to talk a little bit about him now. Usually, I just talk about how much I dislike him. But on October 2nd, at 1 a.m., Ben Shapiro tweeted the following, which is, um, very healthy and absolutely doesn't contribute to my perception of him as absolutely unhinged. He said, quote, Looking forward to all the kind-hearted expressions of sympathy to Trump and Melania from the blue check mark left. Right. So herein lies the problem. A whole host of people who are a part of, um, what Ben Shapiro would call the blue check mark left, a designation that really refers to establishment liberal pundits, they decided that they were going to prove Ben Shapiro wrong. They were going to wish the president and the first lady a speedy recovery. Do you think Ben Shapiro saw well wishes from people like Rachel Maddow and said to himself, you know, maybe I was wrong about these liberals. <laughs> of course not. And that's because he doesn't actually care about respectability politics. Now, if you're to any degree familiar with the lazy, unscrupulous, unimaginative, hateful work of Ben Shapiro, a massively influential figure on the right, then you no doubt know what I'm talking about. 
If you're not, then allow me to read you something that Ben, our paragon of sympathy and tolerance, wrote on February 5th, 2016. Quote, Trayvon Martin would have turned 21 today if he hadn't taken a man's head and beaten it on the pavement before being shot. That's a pretty vile thing to say. And I'm not going to break down the details of the Trayvon Martin case because I'm sure you all remember it. When George Zimmerman stalked and murdered a black teenage boy because he thought he looked suspicious. Now, every year on his birthday, Ben Shapiro mocks Trayvon Martin, and George Zimmerman supplements a good part of his annual income by selling signed packs of Skittles, which, along with an iced tea, was what Trayvon Martin had in his pockets. Ben Shapiro and other members of his ilk, like Dave Rubin, Andy Ngo, Charlie Kirk, and Laura Loomer, they don't care about civility politics, because these are people who have built sizable careers off of other people's misery. The same people who, right now, are chastising you for not feeling sorry for Donald Trump are the exact same people who told you that George Floyd had it coming, and that Kyle Rittenhouse did nothing wrong, or that COVID isn't dangerous because it'll only kill your grandparents. So what? They're hypocrites. Everyone already knows that the Republicans are hypocrites. They know, and they don't care. Pointing out the fact that the right wing says one thing and does another isn't exactly a piece of revelatory information, and it's questionable how helpful me harping over it will be. But I feel like it really needs to be hammered home that the only reason Republicans pretend to care about decorum and spend hours inventing infuriatingly slippery arguments to justify their actions is because it is a means to consolidate power. If you can convince your opponent to play by the rules while you break them, then you win any contest hands down. But of course, applying that statement to the American two-party system would presuppose that the policy goals of the Democrats and Republicans are fundamentally at odds with each other. In reality, such an example falls apart when you realize the fact that the relationship between the Democrats and the Republicans is not competitive, but symbiotic. They need each other as a foil, as a model impediment, as the perfect excuse as to why popular policy reform is never enacted. Either policy will tell you it's because of obstructionism, but in reality, it's because political, economic, and social reforms do not serve the interests of the current power structure, and do not further the goal of our political system, which is the propagation of capitalism. In democratic capitalism, women and members of the LGBT community probably have access to more fundamental rights, but foundationally, it's the same as republicanism. 
Under both forms of leadership, you'll suffer from police brutality. 68,000 people in America will still die every year from lack of health care. Millions of Americans will be too poor to put food on the table. Millions more will be bankrupted by medical costs. And your children will still choke to death on the dust that was once a riverbed. Just ask yourself, those members of the quote-unquote resistance who so vociferously opposed the Trump administration since its inception, how have they behaved during the past four years? Nancy Pelosi, for example, outwardly claims that she is fundamentally at odds with everything Trump and everything he represents. So why then, after so bravely tearing up his State of the Union address, did she repeatedly approve his military budget, actually giving him more than he asked for, vote in favor of his federal judge appointments, and say on the news just the other day that, quote, America needs a strong Republican Party? Now, does that sound like the behavior of someone whose beliefs are fundamentally at odds with those of the Republican Party. Now, of course, I'm giving Nancy Pelosi the smoke for this, but do not let that lull you into believing that this is a problem that is isolated to a single person or group of people. This is a systemic problem. But also, I'm realizing that I'm going on a little bit of a tangent here. To go back to the point that I'm trying to make, the Democrats adhere fiercely to the tenets of respectability politics. You know, Bernie isn't electable because he talks loudly, that sort of thing. The Republicans are only adherents when it directly serves their political purposes. In this case, guilting people into being nice to Donald Trump. And now just a, a quick interjection, because I've been kind of dancing around my own opinion for a while now. I consider myself a pretty empathetic guy. When others hurt, I hurt. And I feel it deep within my soul. But that being said, Donald Trump is a white supremacist. And I will never, so long as I live have sympathy for a white supremacist. There's a prominent talking point within the Democratic Party that Donald Trump is an authoritarian, that he's a fascist. Both of these claims are true. Donald Trump is an authoritarian, and he is a fascist. Now, if last week you were correctly referring to Donald Trump as a fascist, then why would you now be hoping for his speedy recovery? If that situation is a reality for you, then what you're doing is placing the desire for your enemies to perceive you as respectable over the desire to pursue justice and equality and fight fascism. And now don't get me wrong, hoping that the president is alleviated from his illness is not anti-fascist action. And I understand that actively hoping that someone dies from a disease is pretty tasteless to a lot of people, no matter the subject of those desires. 
But there is a world of difference between actively praying that Donald Trump recovers and just saying nothing at all. If you abide by the tenets of respectability politics and you think that it is an asset that contributes towards your long-term political goals, then that's fine. I disagree with you, but I'm not you and I'm not going to make your decisions for you. But there are a lot of people who draw an analogy between Trump and Hitler. And due to the fact that they were a white supremacist state that's actively committing a genocide in our border concentration camps, I don't think that that is a comparison that is too hyperbolic. So knowing the things that we know, that Donald Trump has actively run misinformation campaigns about the severity of COVID since February, and that he has always known that it is an incredibly deadly disease, that he's held massive in-person rallies with tens of thousands of attendees, that he's actively undermined the efforts of the CDC, and that he's convinced millions of Americans that wearing a mask violates their constitutional rights. Because of his interference and incompetence, over 210,000 people have died. Imagine going to a family that is now one or two fewer, and imagine telling them that they should feel anything for Donald Trump except fury. Imagine saying, I know your son or daughter, your grandparents, your mother or father, I know they're not here anymore. And I know you never got to say goodbye and had to talk to them over the phone while they were scared and alone in the hospital. But the man whose inactions caused the death of your loved ones now has the disease that killed them. Could you imagine asking that family to feel sorry for the executor of their misery? The willful idiocy and fascist policy goals of the Trump administration has accelerated the collapse of our nation and of our planet. It has killed hundreds of thousands of the most vulnerable people in our society. If I'm not allowed to feel contempt for a man who caused that, then the word has lost all meaning. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe, leave a rating, or follow the link in the description. This is Ellis Tucci at Hidden History. Signing off.